Hello, everyone. Um, we're not having a, a talk or a sermon this morning, but what we want to do is get under the skin a little bit of uh, various people. And this morning we thought, even though some of you... Is it on? Yeah. Um, this morning we thought, what, who better to interview than the lovely Ben? Now, some of you will know Ben. Um, others of you won't. Um, some of you will have met him at Rock Farm last Sunday. Um, and I'm going to ask him some questions, um, and he has a rough idea what those questions are going to be. And um, maybe uh, towards the end, um, I might open it up a little bit if you have questions you want to ask him, which, of course, he won't know are coming. So uh, be thinking about that as well. Um, ben, you are a really... I don't know how to put this. <laughs> I, I, when I think of Ben, I always think of someone with energy who's entrepreneurial, who's got ideas and, and lots of amazing stuff to contribute. Uh, but Ben and your, you and your family, how long have you been here at One Church? Uh, ten years this month. And, and ten years, wow. Um, and, and how did you arrive here? I mean, what was your journey to, to get you here? And I don't mean physically, which flight did you catch? But um, some, some of the key points in your journey that means you're standing here in this room this morning. Well, uh, headlines are that, that I'm, I come from a really, really big family. I'm the oldest of 12 kids. 12 um, kids? My youngest, my youngest brother's Cademan's age, um, uh, which is weird. Then most of my family lived in Chad in Africa, except for me. So that's a place in Africa that very few white Western people ever go. <laughs> um, but I wasn't there because I went away very young. I left home when I was 15. And I studied journalism, and I went into journalism, and I spent 15 years as a political journalist uh, and doing investigative stuff, and really a career that I loved. And that's what I walked away from to come here and wow. be at One Church, which is a wild story that we don't have time for. But in brief, it, um, journalism's cracking apart as a business. I had to start looking at some other ways, potentially, of moving across this side of the Atlantic. Um, and I, I was connected with all sorts of weird and wonderful people that I have mixed feelings about. Uh, and yet, the way this happened is just bizarre. But th there's a guy who um, both Dave and I will have very uh, cranky feelings about. And yet, he introduced us. And it was a very random encounter in a pub in Brighton. And Dave was a bit out of sorts. And I was a bit out of sorts. <laughs> and 30-minute conversation. And, and it, and it was connecting to the University of Sussex and realizing they had a master's degree program that was right up my alley. And this weird thing of going, we didn't like being in the American South. We definitely, definitely did not like being in the American South, where I'd been covering politics for 15 years and where Michelle had grown up in a really uh, intense, fundamentalist, legalist, Christian environment that she's still unpacking. Um, and we had to get out. And this was the least likely of all the routes but weirdly, I came over to do a master's degree and to get involved in one church because I could see what I'd never seen in any of the many, many churches I'd been in. It was, a, it was an entrepreneurial community that was up for a bit of risk um, to, to just harness whatever nerdy thing people were passionate about, really, for greater social good. Um, and the ability to start the farmer's market as a volunteer on a lark and for it to still be going after 10 years and things like that. That struck me as a profoundly different 
I never dreamed of working for a church or a charity. I, I honestly would have thought it was a bit what people do who don't have any skills. <laughs> Just being honest. Uh, so that was just a massive mental shift to walk away from a career that I loved, which in midlife, I think walking away from an identity is quite a thing. Mm. It's quite a profound yeah. thing that's worth doing, actually, if you have the opportunity to do it. And to enter a community that I didn't quite know everything about, but where it seemed like stuff was possible and that was enough. And you went, oh, let's go for it. This might turn out really crazy, but let's go for it. Yeah, so we moved the whole family over, did the masters, started getting involved here, and then that became a job. When you say the whole family? Uh, I have six children, uh, five, we had five at the time. And there were certainly plenty of people, given even just the cost of a visa for one year, who went, yeah. that's a mad risk to take. Yeah. All those kids, all that money, you might just end up back where you started in a year. And again, it was, it was a strange set of circumstances through some really odd people that it all came together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, that was 10 years ago. Mm. So today, um, you know, in the present, what, what are your main areas of responsibility with One Church? And, and what does a typical day look like if there's such a thing? Don't have any typical days. Um, these days I mostly oversee the coffee stuff, which, which is Skylark Coffee as a roasting company, and Pro Baristas as what is now the largest training school in the UK for coffee jobs. Um, those are things we got to start again, just sort of out of my heart. Like, I used to come home from the newspaper, to, you know, covering presidential candidates and de-stress by gardening or roasting coffee or being nerdy with coffee. These were my hobbies. Yeah, very niche, nerdy hobbies. <laughs> it's a very weird thing for your hobbies to become your job. And, and as I say, again, this is philosophically what really justified it for me or made it exciting is that these things which were just me being silly now can be potentially so socially transformational, but it's still fun, it's still the stuff I like to do uh, that's become a job. So, so running a coffee school, or running a coffee roasted company, or even a cafe in here, weird, nerd hobby that becomes a job. Similarly with veg growing and community gardening and that rock farm and the farmer's market and the relationships that you're able to build within that, um, suddenly that feels more explosive and, mm -hmm. and inspiring to me personally to know that there's a community around that, yeah. number one, and number two, to be able to orient it around marginalized people and, and, and the people who don't have access to these things that I've enjoyed as a silly nerd hobby, basically. You make it sound relatively easy, but those of us who know Ben knows that he works extremely hard. Yeah, and um, I didn't actually answer your question anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, and I just wondered, you know, sometimes times are challenging and um, in the midst of all that activity and all that trying to change the world stuff. Mm -hmm. And what gets you out of bed in the morning, but apart from coffee? Well, I was gonna say, number one, the caffeine molecule. Um, <laughs> plays a very big role, always has, just being honest. Um, I asked this question to Michelle, uh, and she said, I think it's your deep care of people. And I was like, what? No, that's, that can't be it. Um, <laughs> Maybe on some level, I, I do love to see people come alive. Yeah. I feel like it's not that different from journalism in that I, my, the way my brain works is I'm a dot connector. I like to take atomized individuals, things, and connect them all up into something that's immensely more meaningful yeah. altogether, yeah. joined up. And, and I used to create narratives in the newspaper that way. Here, what gets me out of bed in the morning is is people coming alive 
whether that's in the nature engagement way that we talked about last Sunday at Rock Farm, or whether it's, whether it's coffee, and it's not always about coffee, it's about doing something with your hands that helps people who have been long-term unemployed or whatever light up and think about what they want to do with their life. Um, but, but when people flourish, and these days I spend a lot more of my time line managing people than I do teaching actual coffee courses, for example. But when, when even staff members and colleagues are in the right spot for them and it's really clicking and they're having a great time, or when volunteers are just doing their favorite thing in the whole world and it's also deeply meaningful and helpful, that, I get a massive kick yeah, out of that. Yeah. I love to see that happen. And we, we often ask for volunteers, don't we, and chase volunteers in a charity for all the different stuff we do. And, and I sometimes, particularly with something like the market, might struggle for a period of time without volunteers because I want to find the person who's as weird as me, whose idea of a good time on Saturday morning is talking about vegetables or whatever. You know what I mean? And when you find that person and they really are like, this is great, and it meets a need, I just, I enjoy that. Yeah. I like connecting yeah. people yeah. and connecting dots in that way. And But for you, Ben, you're a Christian and you have an understanding you're an understanding of God and the words we sometimes use in churches like salvation and words like that. How does your understanding impact or help shape all this stuff that you say you, you are doing and a part of? That's a good question. Um, coming from a background when, where salvation was a package, basically, you prayed a particular kind of prayer. You had to affirm some certain beliefs out loud very clearly. You got dunked, you know. Um, and, then, and then traveling out of that and thinking about God's grace and the, the manifold ways that he worked that I don't understand, the ways that he gets at people, the way he makes himself apparent, the way he connects people to his creation. Believing, for example, that the Holy Spirit is actually found most often. He does give us amazing gifts, but he's often most found in creation, where stuff's just happening all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. As my thinking has shifted about what salvation is and how, how granular it is and how relevant it is to every single thing I do and how he's just, he is making us well as we move and connect and go, that, that provides the information I need, I think, to do the work that we're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the tick boxy thing, it's the, how is it that we, we can experience together on a progressive, ongoing basis, every day, when I'm making cheese toasties, or whether we're pulling weeds, or whatever, what it is to feel God and to talk to God as we go, and be saved by that, to be changed by that. And do you have any um, tips or rhythms or practices in the midst of a busy life like that? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, I'll struggle with that like anybody else. Uh, years ago, I sat in a prayer workshop with a very eccentric chap in a very conservative church, and it was a completely different context. But I, did, I got some nuggets out of that. And he, I remember him describing this thing where he was single and, we, and weird, quite a weird guy, who, who would walk up the steps in his apartment and go, all right, God, what do you want to show me as I walk up the steps in my apartment? And I, and I remember thinking that that was very odd behavior at the time. But, but developing a flow of conversation with God through everything that we do, which might literally be, what is this? What am I even supposed to do with this today? Or 
uh, wow, that's exciting. I barely even know why. You know, yeah. that kind of ongoing thing, that, that to me has been a discipline that I've worked on over my life. But secondly, I think for my personality type, friend, threes. Yeah, I know, uh, I know. <laughs> I had a brief anxiety attack a few years ago, and, and I found that, I, that the most important spiritual t- discipline for me in that was the one that didn't come naturally, which is to sit still and do nothing and meditate deeply. So for somebody like me, that was, a, that was a only three-year-old revelation, which was, that's not my personality type at all, that's not my speed, but to just listen or to just observe, or to just be still, hard as that is, becomes a really important spiritual discipline to offset the very pace of the life that you're leading. Yeah. And, and whilst that's talking about you and God on your own, um, you've also talked quite a bit about how people together are important to your community, something we've been thinking about a little bit this morning anyway. And, and in, in, in terms of... Um, what you're involved in, what do you see as um, the importance of community? So rather than people just doing what they do because they're passionate about it or trying something for the first time, but more that togetherness, that interdependence, that value we have as one church of interdependence? Um, I'm going to be honest and say that community has is what started this for me. It's what started taking me from a a corporate career on the ladder and moving me into a radically different space. And that was specifically a small group in the States that met in our house that kind of took over our lives in a way and we ended up, we'd, 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 we were all, almost every night of the week doing something together in a way that was natural and spontaneous and not structured and it involved lots of odd people who weren't in church at all and it involved food growing and lots of stuff. And that, that really changed our thinking in our lives to, in a way that ended up here if that makes sense. Um, so I'm always thinking about it. That atomized dot connecting thing, how do we come together to make something explosively cool happen that we don't do when we're on our own? I'll be honest and say that it's been a massive adjustment for us in the UK. And we love the community that we found ourselves in and feel in many ways deeply satisfied by it, but have also struggled to... Um, connect in the ways that we're used to, because we're in a different context. Um, so, you know, we, we know what our two friends are here who knock on our door unannounced and go, hey, can I come in? <laughs> and I know that that's not done here, but we love it. And, you know, th- there are things like that that make you, um, that they're weirdly small things, some of them, but you struggle with and go, oh, this is a different kind of connection, and this isn't our place that we're native to. And so, what community looks like here is kind of a constant riddle in some ways in our heads where we go, what, what is the most meaningful expression for the place that we're in? And that's not always easy to figure mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And obviously here at One Church, we are drawn from different communities. Some of us in terms of nationality or cultural heritage or just the backgrounds and our stories. We come from, from different communities. Any reflections on how we um, can... I don't know, foster greater community amongst us just from what you've learned and seen through the projects that you're involved with? I think I'm learning on this, on this job, and we t- we've talked about this lately on the staff team and those of us who, who manage teams of people. I think I'm learning that 
for all of my desire to go, 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 do cool stuff all the time, to really connect in the ways that are healthy and resilient and exponentially greater for the things to come, we have to have more time yeah. and capacity, emotional yeah. capacity to do that. Uh, and again, I think that slightly cuts against what my default personality type is. But I feel like I'm learning and I'm trying to learn out loud with my colleagues how to create the space yeah. to be with one another and understand and connect with one another enough that the work that we do becomes that much more powerful and ripples well beyond what I'm ever going to accomplish yeah. by myself. So that's quite intentional then, you're saying, that it doesn't it's just happen. It's becoming intentional. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll be honest, I think it's becoming intentional partly because I'm, I've gotten exhausted and cl close to burnout a few times and... Uh, that's a thing that happens in charity circles where you believe passionately in what you're doing and I've seen it happen in other people and you go, oh, what does real health and resilience yeah, in a community yeah. look like in a flourishing way, not a depleting way? Yeah. yeah. There's a huge amount there what Ben shared both in his own personal journey but also his, the things he's experienced and, and trying to build into in terms of community and other stuff. Any questions anybody has for Ben? It can be about him, it can be about what he does. Don't worry if you don't, take a moment. Any questions? No questions. Any questions? Yay, Ryan. Can you repeat the question? You asked what I mean about community being a constant riddle. Maybe two things. Maybe number one, I've come to believe that true community can't be engineered on the front end. In some ways, you can't go out and go, let's have a diverse community of people that does this, this, and this, and looks like this, this, and this. In some ways, I've learned that you have to basically open the door and take whatever walks in, <laughs> and that that is going to be profoundly messy and weird at times. And therefore, you're constantly going to be asking yourself the question, why are we doing this again? and then re-articulating to yourself why it's worth it. Does that make sense? The other thing I probably meant is the just slightly diplomatic way of saying culturally, we've struggled to adjust to community in the UK and what that looks like in, in some ways. Again, repeat the question. Any tips for engaging with standoffish British people in community? <laughs> Um, I had an anxiety period a few years ago, which I mentioned. I was definitely not planning to talk about this. <clears throat> which, I, thank you, th thank you. If you're interested, I had, I, had a, I had a period of anxiety a few years ago that really was around, do I actually know what anybody thinks? Am I reading the cues properly? Because Americans are obnoxious and mouthy and just say what they think to each other. And there's this thing where I always was trying really, really hard to tune in with whatever's between the lines that I'm meant to be picking up on, but everybody's too polite to say. And I was over, over paranoid and overwrought about that. And I had to come to a place, actually, where I was just okay with myself. And to go, actually, do you know what? I'm a Southern American. I ran away from the South. I'm still a Southern American. 
I sound like one, I think like one, I talk like one, that's gotta be okay. And as I eased into that, an awful lot of British people said to me, you're a blessing and we appreciate you because we relax around you. And I went, ah, secret strength. And not always, but you know what I mean? Like that thing of going, uh, you know where you are with Americans because they pretty much let it all hang out, sort of. And, and I just, it was, so for me, it was about becoming com- more comfortable with who I am. When it comes to strategically engaging with British people, um, Careful. It, we, we just, <laughs> there's a great book about it called Watching the English. She explains a lot of things like weather chat. What's the point of weather chat? Uh, it's actually a really valuable thing and not an inane exercise that we all have to get through. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's a whole lot of things I could say about that. It takes time and empathy, as always. And, it, and that actually goes back to my point about working sustainably in community. I'm learning that I have to have so much more time and emotional capacity to be with people in order for those connections to actually work, particularly cross-culturally. Okay, one more question, Jude. <laughs> Brief, please. <laughs> Because um, Ben's been here 10 years, um, is looking back, is there anything he'd done, he would do differently? Well, we wouldn't have come here because the cost, I'm serious, the cost of immigration paperwork has gone through the roof. So <clears throat> we had not anticipated um, spending 100,000 pounds over 10 years on immigration paperwork. And at the front end, if you just told me that's what it was going to be, we'd have said, no, thank you. Um, that's one thing we would have done differently, <laughs> not started. Um, but I'm so grateful that we've ended up here. And, and uh, no. Talk with Jude afterwards, if anything comes to mind. Um, we're going to have to wrap this up now, but is there anything we can pray for for you, Ben? Yeah, it's a huge season. It feels like after 10 years, we're now turning another big corner, just in our family. Yeah. Um, Michelle's going through a massive change in her life. She's, she's, she's investing in a career, and all of our kids are going into school, and our oldest is about to go to uni and just move house, and my job here is changing substantially over the months, and uh, I think that feels unsettling in some ways in a way that I've learned to think might be a good thing, but you don't know what's around that next corner. Yeah. Um, and I, we're, we're just delighted to be in the position that we're, being it, that we're in. And I've always actually been slightly afraid of getting too comfortable, you know? We left a place of comfort to go somewhere weird and we're really fun. It's not weird, but it's really different to us. And we're really excited about that. And then thought, oh, the one thing we shouldn't do is get too comfortable. Because yeah. then you get lazy and, and different things. And, and I think we're in that season of going, what's next? How do we avoid being too comfortable? And, and amid all the changes in our family. Okay, um, I'm going to pray for Ben, and then I think we should give him a round of applause after that, all right? Um, God, thank you so much for this lovely man and Michelle and each one of their children. Thank you for gifting them to One Church, and we are very grateful for that gift. And we, we pray for them now in this season of transition. 
and ask that they might experience and know you occupying that season, inhabiting that season of change. And that, Spirit of God, you would grace them through that change, that um, it would be a good season as they embark on new possibilities and try out new things and explore different possibilities going forward. We pray that in it all they might know your companionship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, perfect community. May they know that in their experience as a family. Um, and again, thank you so much for these lovely guys. Strengthen and equip them and continue to give them fun, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's show our appreciation. Thank you. Thank you.